this is the Manga Mavericks Podcast from AllComic.com, episode 126. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lam Ramiyasha, and today, once again, we are catching up on another new batch of new Shonen Jump series. We got another batch of four this time to talk about, some from established returning creators like Kentaro Yabuki. And that's really exciting. So we're going to get into discussing Ayakashi Triangle, Magu, God of Destruction, Hardboiled Cop, and Dolphin, and rounding off with me and Roboco. In addition to that, we've got an email to talk about in regards to our last episode, our interview with Imahana Sherafitakia. And of course, as always, we've got some community shoutouts to wrap up the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty, pretty laid-back jumpstart episode, but... Uh... Yeah, it, it's kind of hard to believe that we already have another round of like new jump series to talk about because it, it really feels like that last round hasn't been around for very long. I mean, we released our last episode covering the last batch of jump series only a few episodes ago last month. So again, we're catching back up pretty quickly here. But also, there has been new Jump series pretty much every month of 2020 so far. And with <laughs> some more series looking to end, or at least a big one is probably going to end in the next couple weeks, I would not be surprised if we'll get even more new series pretty soon again as well. The The lineup is literally going to look, like, unrecognizable by the end of the year. <laughs> Basically, I mean, we're already at half of the magazine full up of series that debuted in 2020 alone. Already half of the magazine's makeup is of series that debuted this year. Oh boy, but uh, I think we should just get started and talk about the first series, which, uh, before we even get into that, so... Uh, this first series we're going to be talking about, just a little asterisk here, is web only. Uh, it is the only one of these four that you can read that is only available through like a web browser. It's not available on the Shonen Jump app itself, which is unfortunate, but you can read it on the Manga Plus app, uh, which is pretty good, or at least is a good like alternative, but uh, just kind of want to put it out there. But Lum, let's start off here. Tell me about Ayakashi Triangle from Kentaro Yabuki. Well, that name Kentaro Yabuki should give you an indication of why Wiz maybe prematurely decided to keep this manga web only. Because Kentaro Yabuki has spent the last 15 or so years drawing a manga called Two Love Ru, very well known for its etchy and perverted content, a lot of fan service and gratuitous nudity, and I feel that Viz feared that this series would also go in that direction. And perhaps based on these first couple chapters and the premise, they suspected well, though also based on these first couple chapters, I don't feel the content is any more extreme than what was permitted in Food Wars, but this series is... Basically, another exorcist manga, but it's exorcist <laughs> ninjas these time, I guess. They're going after Ayakashi, you know, yokai spirits or whatever. And the main plot of this is that there's this cat demon god called Shirogane. He's drooling over our main heroine, Suzu, because she's got a very enticing aura that is drawing a bunch of Ayakashi to her. And that puts her as a target of danger. 
because of the way she oversecretes life force. And if an Ayakashi eats her, their spiritual power is going to be exponentially higher. Thanks to that. So Kazumaki Matsuria, our protagonist, is from a long line of ninja exorcist. And he has decided to protect Suzu from a distance. They used to be childhood friends, but they've grown distant as Monstery realized that Suzu is in danger and tries to protect her from distance and tries to keep her away from the world of Ayakashi and Yokai. But unfortunately, of course, Shirogane has targeted Suzu, and so Monstery fights Shirogane, and he does a good job of sealing his power away, but... As a last resort, it's just kind of a final fuck you because he doesn't <laughs> want them to be happy. Shirogane uses his secret art, Gender Swap Awakened, to transform Matsuri's body into a female body. And so Matsuri is now stuck in a female body and they have to try and convince Shirogane to turn him back while protecting Suzu all the while from utter Ayakashi spirits targeting her. And now it looks like utter exorcist clans targeting them as well. As they've kind of adopted Shirogane as their pet until he agrees to undo the gender swap technique. Which he can't really do right now because he doesn't have enough power, it seems. Yeah, I, I think he said that, like, part, like, a lot of his power was, like, sealed away. Yeah. Not only did Monstery seal away a lot of his power, he used up the last of his power to basically screw over Monstery. Because he thought that, oh, if I turn his body into a female body, then they can't be together. Oh, boy. Two <laughs> women can't be together. I guess he has not heard of lesbians if he thinks they can't be romantically involved. Yeah, this, this spirit is very old-fashioned, uh, I must say. Well, it is a very old spirit. In the fourth chapter, it becomes apparent that the spirit knows Matsuri's grandfather, too, who sort of resembles Netero and look from Hunter Hunter. Yeah, he kind of does. Um, So, I thought this was pretty okay. I gotta be honest, like, you know, we mentioned how Kentaro Yabuki for, again, for the past 15 years has been drawing stuff like To Love Rube, stuff that is very, very, very uh, fan servicey and etchy and whatnot, and I, I gotta be honest, like, I mean, I know this is, we're, we're only kind of going off the first, like, four chapters so far, so maybe it'll get even raunchier, I'm not sure, but... I'm, so far, I'm. I think this is pretty restrained compared to To Love Rue, which is good. Just just a couple panty shots, not nothing, nothing too much. Though I mean, you could also argue, you know, like there is a point where uh, Matsuri is like trying to chase Shirogane, like like after getting out of the bath. <laughs> yeah, he chases Shirogane nude until he uses his, I guess, special pinwheel on. That he's wearing on in his hair. He can turn that and that allows him to magically summon clothes on his body. That's very so, convenient, yes. Yeah. I, it's also a gimmick that clearly is setting up, oh, this can happen a lot, but it's okay because he can get back his clothes no matter how <laughs> many times that are taken away from him. So there is some fan service and there's, they're clearly setting up to have plentiful fan service moments. 
Honestly, when I was reading this, I felt like I was time-traveled back by, like, again, 15 years ago. Like, I, I feel like, because you have Yabuki's art style, which it feels like it really resembles the kind of art style you would see in manga in, like, the early aughts. Like, it almost feels kind of retro at this point, That, and I feel like this is the kind of thing that easily could have ran and jumped 15 years ago. Yeah, I think that Yabuki's art is really nice looking. His character designs are really good. Oh, for sure, yeah. And lively. It looks like a modern series, but where it feels antiquated is definitely in its content. Its understanding of gender and sexuality is incredibly out of date. And I am no stranger to reading gender-bending stories. Obviously, I'm a huge Rumiko Takahashi fan, and this series drew numerous comparisons to Ron Mahath. And you can forgive Ron Mahath's provincial view of the gender binary as a series written by a 30-something woman in the 80s. But here, we're in the year 2020. Surely we can go beyond our understanding that gender is limited to this binary of you have two body types and that determines what your gender is. Monstery has not become a girl. Monstery is a trans male now. He still identifies as male. He just is in a women's body, quote-unquote. So that is what the idea should be, and there is really no justification of why he needs to pass as a girl at his school he could simply wear his normal clothing and try and continue to live as a man the body type does not change how he has to live his life or what is expended of him so again it is so incredibly out of date in its approach and way of thinking about gender, which really is kind of a snooze to me because I expect better and I think that we can easily do better. So it's not a very articulate story on themes of gender and in that level. It seems that Suzu at least is exploring the possibilities that she may be bisexual in the fact that she is still attracted to monstery in a woman's body. So that aspect of it could be interesting, but I really doubt that Kentaro Yabuki is going to attempt to explore sexuality and gender identity in an interesting way. This is really just a gimmick to have a bunch of fan service and exploitative moments, it feels like to me, and that's a real turnoff. I really want to like a Kentaro Yabuki series again because I really enjoyed Black Cat and Black Cat did really well with all its characters, including its female characters. But it seems that Yabuki's expectations have been tempered by success with Chula Vru and the kind of storytelling and the fan service he drew in that. And so that's seeped into this new work. There's certainly a potential in the world and characters, and again, I do like the art, but the art is being used for things that I don't like, and the storytelling, again, is just so limited in its perspective that it's just kind of a bore to me. Mm-hmm. I, t- I totally, like, 100% agree with everything you just said. Um, th- the only thing that's kind of keeping me at least slightly interested is... You know, the the relationship between our main characters, just because, like, it is, it is just kind of interesting how, like, 
how how distant they've become from each other, especially since like we 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 see that as children they were very good friends, you know, in this in this world of Ayakashi and yokai and whatnot that like nobody else could see, and like that was that was kind of their connection, and now. You know, because of how protective uh, Matsuri is, like, you know, that that's obviously caused, like, some kind of divide in the relationship. And I'm, I am genuinely curious, like, how we'll explore the relationship and how it's going to form from here. But, like, th- that's kind of the only thing that's keeping me interested. Uh, I think, um, you know, I, I gotta be honest, I never really thought about it until, until doing this podcast, but I, I don't think... I don't think exorcism manga really is my thing either, <laughs> quite honestly. Um, and I mean, that's not to say like I'm I'm still open to read other stuff like say Kakaishi or whatnot, you know, just uh, uh, other stuff of the same ilk. But like, yeah, just in general, I, I I think I'm really finally starting to see where you're coming from on your on your feelings on this kind of manga in general, just because it's it's kind of funny how we have two of these kind of manga running at the same time, though I'm sure I'm sure one of them is gonna last longer than the other and it's probably gonna be this one. We'll see, honestly, based on these couple of chapters uh, in the last couple of weeks, I'm kind of hoping Bone Collection wins out more. Wow, I think really? Bone Collection's kind of <laughs> going in a more interesting direction with more interesting characters. I think that you're right that I think that the strength of the series is in the relationship between Matsuri and Suzu and the fact that they spend such a long time distant and now have a chance to kind of get closer to one another is a good opportunity for some interesting emotional storytelling and an interesting relationship. But that's kind of the only strength that the manga has is the central two characters because the characters surrounding them are really flat or aggravating. Yeah. Suzu's friends have really strange gimmicks that involve uh, violating Suzu's privacy, basically, like feeling up her ties and then posting pictures of her. And they seem to find basically by being play lustful for her and Matsuri, so I don't really care for them. Shirogane weaves in and out of being funny and annoying because of his personality of being kind of a skeevy leech, but also trying to be kind of this scheming evil villain that is undermined by the fact that he's in this goofy cat body and can't use his full potential and now even his former underlings don't respect him. And yeah, so and the grandpa, there could be interesting stuff with that character, but so far he's just been in the background. I appreciate that he's accepting of Monster. He's not like trying to force him to conform one way or another. Like he sees Monster wearing a girl's school uniform and he gives a thumbs up. So he's a very supportive grandpa and he's very smart and gives good advice, it seems. So at least decent mentor figure not a skeezy old man oh yeah like we are often used to in manga of this kind i mean i am not against exorcist series i think that they are strangely over prevalent recently but you know i really like stuff like twin star exorcist and i think you could sort of count jujutsu kaisen in this same kind of mold but again not only is this genre just being overplayed in shonen recently I mean, mixing it up with this antiquated gimmick of gender bending, but not really having interesting to say about gender sexuality, just 
kind of makes it even a weaker story than it already was as a hook. It actually worked against its favor for me. Mm. Yeah, again, I totally agree. I guess right, right now, I am I feel like I'll keep reading it for a little bit. I kind of want to see where it goes, but, um, but, you know, so, so far I could either take it or leave it. Yeah, it only has just encouraged me to want to reread Black Cat and finish it, because <laughs> I did check... When the first chapter of this dropped, I did immediately reread the first chapter of Black Cat and was reminded that Yabuki can be quite a great storyteller and write really interesting characters. And it's a shame that he's not recapturing that magic that he had in Black Cat, for me at least, with Ayakashi Triangle so far. Mm-hmm. Man, we, we, we gotta do a manga Mavericks on Black Cat at some point. I'd like to. I'm I'm, t- I'm totally up for rereading Black Cat, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll get to that at some point. But for now, I think we should just move on to our next series, uh, Magu-chan: God of Destruction by Kei Kamiki. Yes. So this manga is about kind of an eldritch Lovecraftian horror god, Magu Menueku. He was sealed away years ago by holy knights in a ceiling crystal and then many many years later in a remote beach town in japan he's dug up by our main character ruru miyanagi who is a middle schooler she basically seems to live by her own pretty much and she like goes digging for clams on the beach and so she finds menueku's jewel and she releases him accidentally by breaking the seal. But Magu Menueku emerges as kind of like a little squid-like creature. Like a little uh, cyclops squid thing. Very cute. Certainly not threatening. It seems that because of the sealing, he's lost a lot of power. So he ends up being taken in by Ruru and a bunch of misunderstandings happen. A lot of the communist manga is that he thinks in terms of being worshipped by God. So he considers all foods offerings and he thinks that he can do any task and then he will earn the favor and loyalty of Ruru. But obviously because of his short diminutive stature, he's not very good at a whole lot. Eventually, he is won over after Ruru saves him from being blown away in a storm and says that he's her friend. And so she helps him see that he can channel his destructive power into a nice thing or, you know, productive ends because they use his destructive blast to blow away a storm. So basically the manga is that is that uh, Magu-chan is living with Ruru as he's trying to regain his power and gain more followers because he's got basically this book that is like just like a yearbook kind of thing where he wants to have people write their names down in and then he believes that's like a tome that will... <laughs> basically ensign people to seal th- their uh, loyalty to him, but it's, it's just like a regular book. But yeah, that's kind of the idea. And so he's got two names so far because he's got Ren Fujisawa, who is a classmate of Ruru's that, you know, has a crush on her. And sh- some, because of sh- shenanigans, he's forced to sign the book and then also help Magu-chan out by after he overstuffs himself at the food court mall he throws him up in the air so he 
blows up in the air and not at the mine. Destroys everyone, basically. And then he encounters yet another old god, a rival of his, Naputaku the Mad, who is like a... Also, like, Mako-chan has been released as kind of a diminutive starfish-like creature. And they have a contest, and he loses the contest, so he also has to sign the book. Which is very humiliating for Nabutaku. But that's basically what the manga is, and the characters that we've been introduced to so far. I think it's quite a funny series. This is another series that reminds me of Sergeant Frog in terms of a otherworldly creature... Coming in and trying to learn about Earth costumes, but taking of it in their own like way of, oh, I'm going to take over. Oh, I have all these machinations. This is all part of my scheme. But they're just really benign, silly, goofy things that they're doing. And ultimately, they're not able to inspire any fear or intimidate or achieve their goal of world conquest or domination at all. So similar to that formula, I do think that the execution is quite funny. I have enjoyed the characters. I think the second chapter with Ren was probably the funniest so far because I think the back and forth between Magu and Ren in that chapter was really funny because Magu sees right through Ren's crush on Ruru. So he has to sign the book to shut Magu up, basically. And so there's like a kind of tension there. So I like that. There's some good relationships overall. But yeah, I mean, uh, it's just a funny comedy with, I guess, taking an amusing interpretation of like what these kind of eldritch monsters would be if they were forced to live in the modern times and had no power and basically cute mascots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of just thought this was cute, you know. Uh, I, I, I did laugh at a few jokes here and there, but, uh, yeah, I, I think this is going to be the kind of thing for me personally that, uh, I think the more characters we get introduced to, hopefully in the more dynamics we kind of have to feed off of for comedy, the, the better it'll get, I think, hopefully. Um, I, I do kind of like the idea of, of Magu running into other like gods of destruction. Yeah. That, that might be pretty funny. But yeah, no, otherwise, I just, I just, I just thought it was fine. I, I enjoyed it. I, mm, the only other thing I would say is I, I kind of wonder if maybe we could have truncated the first chapter just a little bit. Cause I, 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 I did a page count and it took about like 19, 20 pages for us to get back to Ruru's house. And I almost wonder, I don't know. I, I almost wonder maybe like the first chapter could have been truncated a little bit, but. That's really my only criticism. Other than that, uh, again, I thought it was fine. I don't. I unfortunately, I, I don't really feel like I have a lot to say about this one. I thought the pacing in the first chapter went pretty well. I mean, it did its job in establishing the characters. There were good jokes, like the when Roro first encounters Magu, she volleyball spikes him back into the sea. That was really funny. Yeah. There are a lot of good gags in the meeting of Ruru and Magu, and I think you needed that page count so that you can get to the emotional hook of the chapter of Ruru saving Magu and telling him that she's his friend and then forming a bond, which is, you need that kind of central emotional hook to really gel. It kind of gives more flavor to otherwise, you know, kind of a silly comedy like this. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree. Again, that's just this... This is probably just my impatience, honestly, but uh, 
yeah, um, again, not much else to I can really add to this one. You know, I, I'll I'll keep reading it for at least a little bit, see where it goes. Tr- truth be told, I think the other comedy that we have to talk about was a lot funnier, but we'll 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 get to that one. Yeah, it's interesting. Jump has introduced a lot of new comedies, so it will be curious to see which catches on for sure. I mean, for me, this and Mori King are a little similar in kind of what they're going for in terms of, you know, we have this foreign creature coming in and kind of running amok in daily life through their misunderstandings and using their special powers for mundane shenanigans. So I really have come to really like Mori King, and I've really enjoyed Magu-chan so far, too. So we'll see if vote catch on. And for the long haul, it seems Mori King has done quite well for itself so far. So hopefully this catches on, too. Again, I do think it has a good emotional hook, central relationship between Magu and Ruru. And I do think that the supporting carries injuries so far have been pretty strong into adding to the dynamic between the characters. Do I, I do feel in the second and third chapters, Ruru has kind of gotten lost in contrast to the new characters focused on in those chapters, Ren and Naputaku. So we will, I guess, see how the characters balance together in, like, the ensemble relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, but next up, I think it's time to talk about this one. Uh, Hardboiled Cop and Dolphin from Mr. Ryuhei Tamura of Beelzebub fame. Yeah, and we previously talked about their short-lived series, Hungry Marie, when that debuted as a jumpstart just three years ago. That was also, coincidentally, a gender-bending series. So maybe an ill omen for Ayakashi Triangle there, since that series did not last terribly long. Meanwhile, Rie Tamura has gone a completely different direction than Hungry Marie, Certainly not one that was well-timed considering what is happening in the world globally because this is a cop manga. It is about an old-school hard-boiled cop who is basically excised from his metropolitan police force and kind of relocated into a rural island police team on the Ogasawa Islands or Ogasawara Islands. And basically, he is introduced to this idea that there is this cult of the sea that caused a mass disappearance where a bunch of people vanished at the same time, basically claiming that the sea was going to flood the world in a few years and stoke people's fears and preached a way to paradise. And at the center of this cult was a girl who... It's less than five years old, and apparently that girl was rescued by her father and brought to the police station, carried it ashore by a dolphin. And so they're taking care of the girl, and so he gets introduced to his new team, and on his team, he's one of two new recruits. It's him and Lieutenant Orpheus, who is a dolphin man. He is basically an anthropomorphic dolphin, And so he basically has to work together with Orpheus. They're both kind of these hard-boiled, stubborn, masculine, macho dudes. So they kind of get on each other's nerves. But they also kind of see eye to eye on how to deliver justice or law enforcement, it seems. And 
basically, it seems that there are these sea creatures that are taking humanoid form that are coming to this island. And so the plot of the manga is that they're going to be tracking down and dealing with sea crime and protecting this island from these like creatures that can shapeshift and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, you, you just mentioned this, but, uh, I was not sure how to feel about this at first, again, considering what is going on in the world right now. Um, and it was, it was a little hard for me to kind of, you know, uh, separate that from my experience reading the first two chapters of this, but I have to be honest, I, I, I thought it was pretty good. I, I really enjoyed it despite that, thankfully. Uh, but I know not everyone will probably feel that way, and that's totally understandable. Yeah, I wanted to like it more than I did, especially the first chapter. There are good jokes in here. Like, there is this joke about Samajiba when he's going on the island and introducing himself. Like, there are these blood splat by his uh, text balloons. And he said, <laughs> oh, what, you, these aren't from nosebleeds. You know, these are just a hardboard blood splatter. But then, of course, he does get a nosebleed. When he meets uh, our female character who's on the force. And actually that also brings us to something I really don't like about the series so far. Is that like the main female lead is basically just a vehicle for fan service jokes. Basically all characters comments towards her are about her breast size and how busty she is. And she just her introduction is basically her boobs literally busting out of her shirt. They get unbuttoned, and that was really annoying, gross, and immediately turned me off about that. But then, of course, we have, like, the unfortunate bad political stuff in this in terms of, like, how this manga sees uh, law enforcement and the use of force. Basically, we have the scene where Samejima and Orpheus encounter basically these kind of rude kids who got into an accident on the road or whatever, and basically, this guy doesn't have a license, and so Samajima is trying to intimidate him into basically fessing up. And then his friends come by, and they start filming to kind of document and prevent the thing from getting violent. And of course, the manga frames these guys as being like douchebags for doing this. But uh, oh, you can't—we're preventing you from doing your job because we're filming you. We're gonna make you go viral. So that's kind of gross subtext but then of course orpheus confiscates the phone and say oh you can't film the police filming anyone without their permission of privacy of privacy rights it doesn't matter what we're doing and then uh, they bring out their guns when the people are you know driving away and they shoot the tire and there's this text accompanying this moment where they bring out their guns that basically hype up and try to legitimize them shooting their guns as badass because, oh, Japanese police officers rarely fire the weapon. But when they do, you know that they mean it because usually pulling out your guns it will give them a black mark on the record. So these guys are so badass for not caring, throwing caution to the wind, and just shooting their guns, shooting that car. And of course, obviously, the manga justifies it as they had a good reason because those guys may have run over a mother and her kid or whatever. But basically, this manga, you know, in this first chapter, really tries to present 
police violence and as justified and then documenting police violence as unjustified, like uncrestably and uncritically presenting law enforcement as the good guys and they're always justified in dealing with like scummy people, it seems. Uh, and so that was not great, especially when we have all this stuff going on about cops shooting at people trying to film them doing horrible shit and the protests going on worldwide. And it just is a really poorly thought out. That entire sequence and that entire unintentional message. It's very clear that the author does not really have profound political ideas about the police. Like the entire premise of this manga is basically kind of a throwback to these hard-boiled cop action stories of the 80s where you had like these kind of macho characters and it's kind of like a parody of that in the fact that hey you have like this kind of old school macho cop shonen hero teaming up with an also macho cool sidekick in this buddy cop drama except this guy is like a dolphin man and that's where the humor is is just that, you know, weird twist. But it's it was very uncomfortable and annoying, that entire sequence. And it seems the manga is going the direction, though, of, well, now they're not going to really be dealing with human beings, mostly. They're going to be dealing with basically these sea creatures, like, shape-shifting into human form. Like, just these weird creatures from the ocean that are coming on this island and causing mischief. So it's getting away from more problematic stuff, it seems. So that is good. But there were a lot of things to dislike, especially about the early chapter, even though there were a lot of really good jokes. And even the second chapter, there were a lot of really good jokes. I think that Tamura has a lot of great comedic sensibilities, and I want to like the characters. I think the baseline characters are really good. But, like, again, just that entire central conflict in the first chapter with those guys had a lot of troubling elements that really turned me off mm-hmm yeah i i definitely felt the same way though i um i i don't know if i misread the scene but like because because the, they also mentioned i mean obviously that that whole bit where they threatened to film them and they're like oh you can't actually film yeah that 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 that, that felt pretty uncomfortable I I don't disagree with that, but I the one thing that like I don't know if made me feel better is the right way to say it, but the one thing that like made it I don't know made it a little a little more digestible, I guess is the best way to put it was because I, I I I thought what they were going for near the end of that conflict was because they mentioned how like there's really shitty reception on on the island that they're at, so I took that as oh, well, they were just bluffing them. They're not actually filming them. It, it get- doesn't matter that they were bluffing. It does not matter because like, obviously in the manga, we know that these guys are kind of jerks. But if this was a real situation, if these guys were not jerks and they were, you know, doing this bluff to say, hey, we're filming you so you don't escalate the situation and hurt our friend, you know, they would be justified in doing that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the, the fact that they are bluffing does not make the situation any better for our protagonists. It does not put them in a better light. 
like the manga very clearly frames all the protagonists as justified and these guys as scummy very uncritically and kind of very shallowly because like obviously you're supposed to dislike these guys and you're supposed to like what Boyle and Orpheus do. I mean, geez, I mean, the opening scene of the manga is Boyle pointing a gun at like this guy who has a woman, you know, at knife point. You know, we don't know what this guy's circumstances is, if he's like mentally ill or whatever, but basically it's that kind of use of excessive force that is really bad and really consequential in real life. Like it could cost lives. And you saw Boyle punches the guy too. Again. And he knocks out this guy's teeth. Like, yes, this guy was putting someone else in danger, but again, this is a manga that is kind of glorifying and justifying police using lethal force on a per on people in the name of justice or and justifying that and that is just very uncomfortable given, again, what is going on in the world right now and what we have seen about how police abuse and misuse uh, lethal force. Mm-hmm. See, uh, see, once again, like it just goes back to what I said earlier. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm at odds with myself because uh, I will admit I'm a sucker when it comes to the whole hard boiled cop who doesn't play by the rules kind of shtick. Like you know, I, 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 I find that stuff genuinely pretty cool or funny or depending on like what what something is going for. But I do, I can't. It it is really it is really hard for me to enjoy that kind of stuff again, you know, because of what's going on, and I I feel like I am going to be constantly at odds with my uh, at odds with myself personally speaking, just because I I want to I want to read more of this. Like I I do think, despite a lot of that really shitty stuff, I still think it's really funny. But like uh, again, like I total I totally understand like anyone who is rightfully disturbed by what's going on with all the protests and everything if you don't want to read this like i i just yeah uh i'm 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 like i'm constantly gonna be at odds with myself while reading this but like i i also want to support it because i also really want ryuhei tamura to do well too especially considering hungry marie didn't really last super long you know when that was running and God knows if we're ever going to get the Beelzebub manga, you know, over here officially translated. So, you know, I, I still like having the chance to support his work, you know, officially. So uh, I guess just myself in particular, I'm going to take what I can get. So, yeah, I, th- this is definitely, I think, for probably probably at least some people is going to be a definite, like, problematic favorite. And, you know, I just want to put out there, like, you you are not a bad person if you like this manga, and you are also not a bad person if you don't want to read this. I just want to put that out there. Yeah, and Ryue is not a bad person for writing this. I just think that they also aren't thinking very critically of regurgitating like these kind of old cliches and plot elements from buddy cop and hard-boiled cop stories that have kind of been common and prevalent for decades and have only served to be like propaganda to kind of portray police as kind of genteel institutions and not really reflective of kind of the reality of how the police have operated and affected especially marginalized communities across the world so I again it's just like you got to divorce yourself from the real world to 
fully enjoy the series and realize that the author is not really intentional in trying to portray like the police as an institution is justified for all this, but like the characters themselves, because they're supposed to be cool. And that's just, these are just old shonen and general genre tropes and whatnot. Yeah. And again, we're, we're also not saying that if you can't do that, then because we understand also that not everybody can, and that's totally fine. Yeah. Very reasonably. And I do think there is a lot to like, of course, because I do think it is quite funny that our hard world caught protagonist's name is literally Boyle. I do think that Orpheus's full name is Orpheus F. Lipper. Like, I think that Ryo Tamura has a lot of good gags and jokes in this. Hell, even even that scene where he he takes out the assailant on top of the roof. Like, I love I just love that spread and how like immediately after that happens. We just crash cut to, you're fired. Yeah, on the same two-page spread. Like, immediately after he punches the guy, he's being fired. It is, like, funny comedic timing. Art is very good. Action sequences, very good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, in general, I, I really like... Like, I, I think Tamora's character designs, especially when it comes to his more his more macho masculine characters. Like, I mean, honestly, I, I think, you know, part of the reason why I enjoyed Beelzebub so much is because I I really enjoy how Tamura designs those particular, you know, really badass macho characters. Like, you know, the Beelzebub wasn't perfect, but it, it was a genuinely fun, like, Yankee, gangster, like, delinquent high school manga. And uh, I'm, 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 I'm glad he's kind of going back to his roots a little bit with this series, so I think I'll... I think I'll get a little more out of this than I did Hungry Marie, just personally speaking. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Like in general, I I think this can still be like a fun series, personally speaking. Like I do like the idea of them having to go after more like sea creatures, or at least sea creatures that are like taking over human bodies, as we're seeing with the octopus person or whatever. Yeah. Like, cause, cause they, cause they make a, they do talk about in the first chapter how like ninety five percent of like all life is like in the ocean or whatever, you know. Uh, yeah, ninety five percent of creatures in the ocean are unknown species. Like that's kind of the idea of this manga, is that oh, there are these mysterious creatures that are coming up from the sea on this island now, and it's all connected to this cult and this mysterious stuff surrounding this little girl and Orpheus and stuff. So that's like the idea behind it. So like there is an interesting premise here. Like even even with Hungry Marie, like again, that didn't last too long, but it, but at least like that was, you know, th- th- that's that series was still like kind of interesting. Like I think Tamura I would put in the I would put in the same category as like you say Matsui where it's like the these people are incapable of coming up with anything boring, you know? Yeah, and I think the further away it gets from actual cop stuff and more about fighting these sea creatures, the more I personally will be able to unquestionably enjoy it, or at least, like, not... I'll be able to enjoy it more with less caveats. Yeah. Uh, and... You know, I do appreciate that this is a series that is also trying to take the piss out of these macho archetypes by making one of those characters like a dolphin man and then having, <laughs> of course, Boyle be the butt of so many jokes. And yeah, I, 
like that. And hopefully it can do that while also maybe not producing its only female adult character as a sexual object and also maybe do stuff with her. That would also be nice. That would be cool. And I I will say just uh, like that scene you mentioned earlier with her, with her like, uh, with her uniform, like popping a button or whatever. I, I do agree that that was definitely a little gratuitous, but at the same time, it's, I, I don't, this is just my opinion and I, I'm sure not everyone's going to agree, but I feel even sad saying this, but like, it's probably one of the more subtle, uh, like subtle pervy jokes I've seen in manga, honestly. Uh, but that's also, I don't know if that's really saying much, honestly. I would not call it subtle in the slightest a panel of her breast literally sprouting out of her shirt. I guess I guess more subtle than like the typical big busty high school girl falling into our main protagonist, I guess. I don't know. I I'm probably comparing apples to apples, honestly, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. This is definitely probably the one we had the most complicated thing inside though. <laughs> yeah, honestly, uh, there's 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 a lot to, there's a lot to chew on with this one, whether fortunately or unfortunately. But um, again, you know, th- this one comes with a lot of caveats. Personally, I'm going to keep reading it, but uh, surprisingly, this is I don't know. I'm I'm actually like I I'm still kind of thinking about whether. Whether I like this one the most, or I like this, uh, our very last series we're going to be talking about the most, because this next one, I think, was arguably a lot funnier than than uh, than than this one. Yeah, actually, surprisingly, I think this also might be my favorite of the four, and that's Me and Roboco by Shuei Miyazaki. Shuei Miyazaki is previously known for doing the Promised Neverland gag spinoff manga. So they kind of translated their comedic strengths, I guess, into this series. And the premise of this is that in an indeterminate year, there are basically these robotic maids called order maids that like everyone has that they're super popular because the maids are really cute. Nerds love them, but they're also useful around the house in general. Our main character, Bondo, really wants one but his family is kind of poor so they can't really afford a newer model but he manages to convince his mom to get an older model and in comes Roboco who looks very not like he expected she's kind of chubbier kind of got a round nose comes in riding a motorcycle she has Napa knees yes Yeah. Oh, man. So, Roboco is kind of a weird figure. Bondo tries to have her make some food for him, have her do some chores, and she does not really excel at anything. He gets frustrated with her and, like, runs out of the house and almost gets run over by a truck. And you'd think that this might become an isekai manga for a second. (laughs) But Roboco pushes Bondo out of the way, and you think it's going to be a tragic scene about Roboco being destroyed. But no, instead the truck gets destroyed around Roboco. Roboco just stays in place, and the truck gets destroyed like just crashing into her and we see the truck has basically just disappeared leaving his driver just in the street with a question mark holding a steering wheel connected to nothing and everyone is confused but life goes on and Bondo apologizes for saying mean things to Roboco and they decide to live happily though it turns out that his mom tried to order an actual 
order made, but messed up and didn't do it. So where did Roboco actually come from? What is she actually? Who knows? There's a mystery there, but it's going to be a fun setup for a comedy of errors. Oh boy. So I I cannot believe I cannot 2020 for more than one reason has been a really like wild year again for for better or for worse, mostly worse, but like I cannot believe 2020 is the year where I'm going to say a gag manga about a muscular made robot is funnier, <laughs> way funnier probably than than a Shonen Jump manga about a dolphin cop. I never, I never thought we'd get here, but here we are. Yeah, there are a lot of really great gags in this. I think that this premise is a clear kind of send up of Doraemon. Yeah. Not only does the main protagonist remind me of Nobi in a way, and of course Roboco and her weirdness, and also her strange gadgets and random quizzes remind you of Doraemon. But even the side characters, his friends, they remind me of Gian and Snunio, and even in design, they feel a little similar looking. I think that they're really good subversion of expectations with a lot of the gags for example his friends tease him at first about his family being poor and not being able to afford a robo maid but then when bondo talks back and says hey that's not very funny they're really apologetic and they are very encouraging <laughs> I, I just I, I love how they're just like it actually that's that's not funny i'm sorry man <laughs> Yeah, and then later he talks to his mom about getting the robo-maid, and first she deflects by saying, well, if you want a little better sister, I'll do my best with your father tonight. Like, openly telling this elementary school kid that, oh, you know, I'm gonna get busy with your dad later. But then she start when she starts to realize what a robo-maid could do around the house first, she starts getting angry at him, and all this great gags throughout the entire chapter is that she's always holding a kitchen knife like no matter what she's doing even when she's folding laundry she's holding a kitchen knife <laughs> i think that oh. i think that actually legitimately might be my favorite gag in this chapter it is so good and man roboka like her introduction scene's amazing coming in on that motorcycle just Bonda opening the door multiple times, like seeing her getting beat up by a gang of punks, and then closing the door and opening it again to see that she is beating them up and like stuck baseball bats in their mouths and asses, stripped them nude, beat them to hell. Like it's so funny. L literally, l yeah, literally, literally baseball bats up the ass, and and also like yeah. I'm 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 looking I'm looking at the pages now. Boy, you weren't kidding about neo-Nazis. I totally missed the swastikas my first time around. I mean, they they could just be, you know, manji symbols. They, I don't they think could that they're be probably... supposed to be actually, you know. Well, but you can take it that way, I guess, if, as, as, you know, we're us as Western readers, I suppose. But either way, like, they're bad dudes. They're punks that are, you know, attacking Roboco because apparently she stole her bike and then... Close the door, page flip, you see that she's turned the tables on them. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, look, you know, obviously this kid is like an elementary schooler. So, like, mm -hmm. you know, but you can't, you can't like totally blame him for like wanting like a, you know, a cuter maid, I guess. Because he's a kid. He doesn't know any better. But like, because he, he, he mentions like how thick Roboco is. Like, it's a bad thing. And I'm just like, kid. When you get older, you'll learn. 
Yeah. <laughs> I appreciated the Jujutsu Kaisen gag that Roboku is reading Jump and she's confused about domain expansion. And then you see her doing like hand signs. And I saw someone on Twitter post about this. This is a very clear direct reference to actual hand signs that were introduced to guys in chapter 15 during the Jogo and Gojo fight. So that was like a great Easter egg gag. I mean, going through this chapter is just like repeating all the gags because I think all of them really work for me. I, I really enjoyed like the entire pace of this manga and like every comedic beat of it. It was very, very funny. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of surprising how like I, I don't think there's a joke or gag here that like doesn't land. I think of, I think actually all of them are funny. Like I legitimately can't think of a time where I thought ah, that that joke wasn't very good or whatever. And like I could see this being the kind of manga where like even if a gag doesn't like 100% land for some people, like they won't spend like a lot of time on it. Like at least all the gags are quick, I think is also probably the best thing about them. Even, even if one of them doesn't turn out to be very funny to, to a reader, you know? Yeah. And the manga does a good job of making the characters all feel likable and not getting too mean spirited. Like it feels that the joke is at the right person's expense and it never feels too overbearing. Yeah, because I I was kind of worried that like we were gonna dogpile all over Robico for not being cute or whatever, but I, I think I think they toe the line with that, thankfully. Yeah, and Bondo isn't too much of a jerk to her until he yells at her at the end, so he's able to remain likable even though he's taken aback at Robico being completely different from what he expected. Oh man, but um, yeah, again, I. I feel bad because like it's like you said like I, I like a, a lot of a lot of talking about the first chapter would just be like repeating all the jokes and I don't want to do that but like man this is this was legitimately really funny and like I'm definitely going to be reading more of this oh most definitely cuz I also I also wasn't expecting that twist at the end where it's like well where did this robot come from like it's legit that last page <laughs> is legitimately really terrifying <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's a really horrifying kind of expression that Roboco has there. And then the big text of, then what is she? And, like, how fearful Bondo looks. Like, because, you know, we also mentioned that this person was also responsible for that Promise Neverland gag manga. I, I, I wonder if, I wonder if the, the, this is, like, the kind of thing that was pretty normal in that gag manga in particular. I wouldn't be surprised if they played up horror comedy in that, considering... You know, Promise Neverland itself was kind of an horror action series, so turning into a horror comedy would make sense. And so, yeah, I think that would be good elements to pull into me and Roboco, too. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, again, this this may be the best series out of the batch, quite honestly. Like, I think out of, out of all the, like, comedy and gag manga in Jump right now, like, this and Mitama Security with Hard Boiled Cop and Dolphin Copper whatever the name is, probably comes in third for me. Like, I think I think those are, like, three of the funniest manga in, in Jump right now. For me, it's definitely Mitama and Mori King, but I really liked Me and Roboco. I think that Me and Roboco's first chapter is probably the strongest of any of the comedy manga that we've got in Jump within the past year or so to compare. And I think that both this and Magushan I really, really liked. I think they're very good comedy stories, but a good cast of characters so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, 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 to I totally get what you were 
saying with like I I totally got Doraemon vibes from this immediately as well. So yeah, I mean it's a very old school feeling art style too. So it definitely gives like older gag comedy vibes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know if there's really anything else to say about me and Roboco other than if you like comedy, you should read it. Yeah, I would say so. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I guess how do how do we feel about this jumpstart round all around? Because I. I feel like with me in particular, like, it, st- it starts off okay with Ayakashi Triangle, and I think each successive series gets better and better. That's that's just how I felt. Like, I, I'm really on a spectrum of, it's okay to, wow, this was really fun. Yeah, I mean, I really like, again, me and Roboko and Magutan, and I found Ayakashi Triangle and Hardball Cop frustrating in different ways i will continue reading them of course i read everything in jump but i am definitely most excited to read me and roboko and magu me and roboko i'm the most excited to read magu shot i'm enjoying reading and i think that hardboard cop now that it's clear that it's going to be more about fighting you know these ocean creatures is going in a better direction i think ayakashi triangle i am hoping it will go in a better direction now that we're, I guess, introducing other exorcist clans that are going to be after Suzu or whatnot. And we've kind of got Shirogani living with Matsuri and Suzu now. So I want to pull for that because I want to like a Kentaro Yabuki series again. But yeah, I mean, I, I would say Ayakashi Triangle is probably the one I liked least. And then me and Roboka was the one I liked most. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think overall this was this was a pretty good round. I think again, a lot of caveats with some of these, but I I, I mostly enjoyed uh, a lot of these. I'll, I'll say probably the second half more than the first half, but still, I I think probably more interesting than the last round. I'm gonna say the last round was Bone Collection, Time Paradox, and and Mori King. Okay, well. I really like Mori King, uh, so I don't know. I don't. I, mean, I don't know. I'm... I guess overall, <laughs> it's hard to say. I'm kind of mixed on Time Paradox's direction. I've kind of become frustrated about how much Tepe considers himself basically a white knight. Oh, I'm so burdened. I have to draw this manga. Oh, I'm so burdened. <laughs> I have to save Aino. It's like okay, I, I get it. You know, and Bone Collection has improved. I mean, I'm honestly enjoy some of the recent chapters i think the characters are growing on me it's hard to compare i guess we will see i mean i mean my my thing is with with the last round like time paradox ghost rider was like the standout for me the other two i thought were either okay or like oh well this could probably be interesting if i give it more time you know with this round, I at least feel like I'm pretty 50-50 on, like, Ayakashi Triangle and Magu-chan, I'm, I'm okay with, but I, I feel like I need more time with them. Uh, Hardboiled Cop and, uh, and Roboco, you know, whereas with those two, I'm, I'm pretty hooked on them from the start. 
Oh, you know, something we didn't even mention about Hardball Cop that I actually did appreciate is that they really bury the lead on the fact that Orpheus was in the manga because in all the promotional material and in the cover page, like you see the little girl and you think that the dolphin in the title is referring to the little girl and then you get halfway into the first chapter of Hardball Cop and then it's the big reveal of, oh no, there's an actual dolphin man in this and he's oh. like the co-lead. <laughs> like I, I actually really did appreciate that. So I... It, would be remiss not to mention that that was an aspect of the manga and like the promotion lead up to it that was a really good surprise mm, uh, okay but, yeah yeah i mean i i like i really like two of this four in this round whereas in the previous one i liked two of the three and then over the weeks <laughs> which two of the three i liked more has changed it went from time paradox and mori king to bone collection and mori king uh, and then now I, it's really hard to say with these new ones cause they're so new, but if I had to compare all seven, <sighs> I think I liked Mori King the most out of all seven. So uh, really? I guess I'll have to give it to the last one. Yeah. I really enjoy Mori King. So, but we'll see maybe as more weeks go on me and Roboco, I think it could definitely have the potential to even win out against Morgan for me as one of my favorites of the gag and comedy manga and jump right now. I mean, but Tom is still the number one right now. Like Mori <laughs> King has edged in a second. So maybe, maybe I'll have to give Mori King another chance at some point. Cause I gotta be honest. I kind of dropped it a little earlier than, than I usually do with some of these series where it's just like, I, I think I dropped it like five chapters in. Uh, right, right around the time where the was it the praying mantis girl came in? Yeah, Oka, I like Oka a lot. And after that stuff was done, I was like, I want to, I want to see more bug people, but I just, I don't know if I just don't really care for its for its comedy or what. I mean, it it does have good. I mean, that's fine because people have different interests in comedy, but I think it's a very enjoyable, like kind hearted, sweet comedic series i think that the characters that have been introduced have been really funny butterfly man that they introduced the last couple chapters really really funny mm-hmm. and yeah i'm not saying there's necessarily anything wrong with it i'm just saying i think i i just think it's the like a lot of its humor it just isn't like landing as much with me personally but again like it's it's the kind of thing that i'll probably pick back up at some point or something like i'm i'm not i'm not opposed to reading more of it i Maybe I'm maybe I'm just not super interested in reading it week to week, quite honestly. So I don't know. Maybe I'll I'll get back to it at some point. Maybe I think, but uh, but yeah. Um, I, I I I I think in general, a lot of these new series, while I don't I don't necessarily like love all of them, I do enjoy most of them anyway, which is good. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I I think that's kind of about it for that. Uh, as always, you know. Uh, the first three chapters of all of these will be available for free on the Shonen Jump app and website at shonenjump.com. And, uh, you know, we haven't really mentioned this much on, on like the podcast, but if you, if you're listening to this podcast and you live outside of like where, outside of a Viz territory, you know, these are also all available on the Manga Plus app, uh, which again is pretty much available worldwide except for japan and korea and china i think i'm pretty sure i'm right on that so uh yeah we'll we'll leave links in the show notes for anybody who wants to read any of these and uh 
you know, let, let, let us let us know what you think about some of these series. You know, what, what are what are some of your favorites? What do you think are some duds? Um, you know, you can email us at mangamavericks at gmail.com uh, like like Rachel did. And I think uh, we're going to get into this email. And um, we we definitely have a lot to talk about with this email in particular, but uh, we'll we'll get into it into a little bit. Um, so, again, thank you, Rachel, for sending your email uh, just right at the top here. And uh, I'm just going to start here. So uh, Rachel says, hello, I adored your interview with Emma, uh, Emma Hanashiro. Uh, for those who didn't listen to the last episode, we had Emma Hanashiro on from Futakia, the editor in chief. Good good discussion. I really enjoyed uh, we we both really enjoyed having her on and we'll definitely have her on again at some point. Uh, but to continue, uh, thank you so much for bringing her on the show. I'm a huge BL fan as well as a manga and other comics fan in general. And I've been a Futakia subscriber since day one. I remember last year when you put out the call for BL manga recommendations, and I know she sent a selection from Futakia at the time. I had meant to, but I never got around to it. And I may do if you are still interested in hearing from me after the next thing I wanted to share. And yeah, please, if you, if you have any recommendations you want to send, please, please do so. We're always up for recommendations. But just to continue with this next part of the email... Uh, she says, uh, this is a little hard to bring up, but I do admit that while I was an extremely extremely regular listener of yours for most of last year, I more or less dropped the podcast as a regular listener due to what felt like a lot of nervous, uncomfortable, or dismissive giggling the few times the topic of BL came up. I understand this may not have been intentional, but it was very disappointing and disheartening, especially given that you've often had Yuri and other queer manga highlighted. It was very at odds with what I expected of your show. It hurt to feel that one kind of queer manga was somehow worth just laughing at in 2019. BL fans have been aggressively mocked and dismissed for years, after all, uh, by people with either overt or subconscious misogynistic and homophobic attitudes. I hope that more engagement with BL has broadened your view a bit more. Uh, Glad you are open to the possibility of more BL discussion on your show. And I also hope that even just the mention of BL is no longer something to giggle at. I know I'm just one random listener, but it did hurt, and I moved to only listening a couple episodes since then. Uh, once again, thank you so much for interviewing Emma and talking so much about Futakia. I hope it continues to succeed, and some of your listeners check it out. Best of luck with the continued success of your podcast as well. Uh, I know you have your preferences on what you like to cover, but I do enjoy seeing a broad swath of the industry covered, including areas I'm not as interested in personally, as well as a variety of topics, uh, one of the reasons I was a regular listener at the time. Most recently, and admittedly a little nervously, I listened to your episode on problematic content and was pleased to find a nuanced and mature discussion. Uh, thank you for your time, and I do look forward to your love me for who for what I am and blue flag episodes. Who I am, actually, I mean that's the title. Yeah, uh, that was a typo there on my part. Uh, looking forward to those episodes. Uh, the next ones I plan to tune into, and that's the end of Rachel's email. So uh, we do have a lot to talk about there, pr- probably mostly on my end because uh, you know I like as, as soon as I read this email. The first thing that came to mind was uh because for those who may not have listened to it last year uh we we had a very big episode last year, and by big, I mean like a four hour episode 
uh, combining a lot of news and our thoughts on some Manga Plus series, those being uh, Dear Sachan and He and the Change. Uh, and uh, obviously, Lum and I, we had recorded that with Maxi, you know, uh, you know, but basically before Lum... I, I forget. I, I know you, you weren't... So a, I went yeah. to L.A. to pick up Wee Lord from his internship and drive back from L.A. to back to Minnesota. Yeah. And so you decided to record news while I was out. Yes, uh, and I recorded news with Sakaki, our good friend over from the uh, uh, Shonen Sunday Talkback blog. And uh, there was a portion of the show where, because uh, at that point, that was actually the episode where we talked about how Futakia had just launched. Uh, I I already forgot that Futakia is, like, still a relatively new service. Like, boy, like, a- again, like, a-, a lot of time feels like it's passed, but it really hasn't. Um, but, yeah, we talked about Futakia, and we talked about a lot of boys love manga that had just, like, uh, got licensed around that time. And, um... I re-listened to that section of the show, and while I didn't say anything like outright dismissive, because like I just want to put it out there, like I'm I am not against like boys love manga at all. Like again, I'm very open to to reading more of it and talking about it on the show. Um, but I I could like re-listening to that section if this is the episode that Rachel is mentioning because. They did. They did mention that they stopped listening around 2019, and this is this. This was like the only episode I could think of where like it might have turned them off. And and again, I like listening back. I didn't. I don't think I said anything outright dismissive. I was trying to be careful of that, but like I I could see how like maybe the like the my tone of voice and like how we covered that part of the show may have come off as dismissive. And I just want to put out there that like. If if I sounded like nervous or we were kind of like laughing too much at you know while we were like talking about those titles, it is not because like it's not because like I hate boys love or like I wanted to laugh at any particular fandom. I think it was just because like I was, I'd like I I think you'd hear it. I was just kind of surprised at like how much BL had like been announced around that time, and I I think I even mentioned in in that episode that like you know like. Sakaki's usually usually like my go-to person if I want to like cover news and Lum isn't around. And we even we even talked about in that episode like how you know, just to put it out there, like both Sakaki and I are cisgendered heterosexual uh males. Like I I already kind of knew that like you know, we weren't going to have a lot to add to you know, a bunch of BL being licensed at that time, other than just kind of reading a bunch of announcements. And I, I did feel really bad about that, which is why I wanted to make up for it by having Emma come on the show and promote Futaki as much as we could. And also in the future, you know, make time to talk about more BL manga, which, again, I... Uh, I also mentioned in that episode I wanted to read some BL for that show, but... One, we, we kind of mostly wanted to dedicate the episode to just talking with Emma about her time at Futakia and just talk about her. That, and I just didn't really have the time to read as much as I wanted to. But we are going to have our own episode dedicated to talking about other BL titles or basically whatever we could read on Futakia or, or elsewhere, you know? like um, So again, like I, I really want to apologize if I came off as dismissive uh, towards the BL fandom. I have nothing against BL, and I, I'm I'm very open to reading BL. 
I think I think one of the only other things I could say about that section of that episode was because uh, I'm re-listening to it. I I think there was one title in particular, and I wish I could remember it. Uh, that mentioned a character having a brother complex, quote unquote. And I think while see see my my thing with BL is I'm I'm not against it. I'm not against reading it. But I think you know we've talked on the show before about how like you know some some titles we'll talk about on the show in terms of licenses where we're not always super into the dynamics of certain series depending on what those are and i think that just comes down to us personally and uh i, I don't know i just feel like you know cuz we i cuz i think even emma mentioned that uh w- one of the titles that she had brought up on that last episode was a title where you would have to be okay with incest in order to read that kind of thing and Personally, I don't know if I'm okay with stuff like that when it comes to certain stories. But again, again, that those are just my preferences and like what I'm okay with, you know, reading. Uh, and you know, Lum, I I know you've talked uh quite a lot on the show about a lot of dynamics. I know you're not okay with, and I think that just comes down to our personal tastes and preferences and whatnot. And I think that's okay. Um, and I, I bring that up because like. I, I don't want people to think that I'm just against BL just generally, because I know, I mean, if you, if you talk to me, like, even like when we started this podcast, I, I'm sure I would have, like, I would have been the kind of person who just assumes like, oh, BL is just like, uh, all this one thing, or BL always has these like, very raunchy, like, uh, smutty themes or whatever, like, oh, BL's gross or whatever. Like, I, I probably would have been the kind of person to think that even four years ago, but like, t- talking with Emma and talking with other people who we've like podcasted with, like, uh, you know, I've, I've come to realize that, you know, not all BL is the same, not all BL is as, you know, uncomfortable or raunchy. Like, there are fluffier titles that I'm very, I'm very much looking forward to checking out. You know, and like I, I know that BL isn't just one thing. So yeah, I, 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 I guess I don't, I don't know where else I wanted to go with this. I, I just wanted to apologize if I came off as dismissive, because uh, that was definitely not my intent. So I apologize for that. I'm glad you sent this email, Rachel. I and mean, this is the kind of feedback that we really appreciate. If we're doing something wrong or if we say something that might come across as dismissive, like we want people to call us out on that so we can address these behaviors and we can do better in the future. We are definitely committed to covering more beyond the show. I read BL outside of this podcast. I mean, for a number of years, I'm certainly not unfamiliar with BL. I like BL a lot, and I think that there's a lot of series we love to cover, not only just in the Futikia library, like we talked about in the episode with Emma, but I really enjoyed Emma's recommendations that she sent us, and I dug into other titles on Futikia that I really, really enjoyed, and there's just so much there that we love to dig into, and we'd love to get your recommendations as well of other series to cover on the show. Because, yeah, I think that that is an area that we have slipped on. We have not covered enough BL on the show and discussed enough titles compared to, like, other genres. And that is something that I want us to address and fix going in the future, cover a broader diversity of manga. And that has been one of the goals that I have, you know, personally been trying to do with the show, you know, as we've gone into this year, uh, cover a lot more different types of manga 
and have a lot more perspectives on to talk about a lot of different series. And I want us to continue to improve in doing that. So I think this was really great feedback. I really appreciate you writing to us about this. And yeah, I, I think look forward to us discussing even more BL manga in the future and, you know, showing more of the broad world there is, not only in the world of BL, but in the world of manga as a whole. And related to BL manga uh, and really manga featuring male MLM relationships, uh, we have an interview that I did with An Ishii, who is the one of the co-founders of Massive, uh, which is a publisher who has really done a lot to bring out gay comics over here in the U.S. from great artists like Gengor Tagami and Jiraiya. And it was a fantastic conversation we had on about gay comics that I think will be another great area to explore even further in the future as well. And yeah, look forward to that episode on our Patreon soon and coming out on our main feed next month. Like there was, that was an amazing interview with Anne. And it's again, an example of kind of the podcast that we want to do exploring the wide world of manga and all sorts of genres. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I guess I don't really know what else to add on there, but uh uh, again, I once again apologize for if I came off dismissive. I did not mean to be, and I, uh, I, I hope you'll, I hope you'll continue to listen to us because I, I really have to give credit to Lum. Like it's, it's really because of them that I think the show has become as diverse as it is. Um, and that's not to say I'm like against diversity or anything, but like, l admittedly, Lum is a lot better at like networking than I am, and uh, a lot better about trying to. Uh, as far as topics go and what series we want to cover, try to keep the podcast as varied as possible uh, because I, you know, as, as much as I like want to cover other stuff on the show, I admittedly, you know, still have trouble trying to uh, tr trying to venture out outside of my Shonen trash bubble because, um, you know, also Shonen Jump is Shonen Jump is like the most available kind of manga there is out here, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that that doesn't give us the give me the excuse anyway to like not uh, venture into other stuff on the podcast. And uh, I also want to apologize for that as well. I'm constantly trying to uh, trying to get better about that kind of thing. And it's it's really because of this podcast that like I've been able to have like sort of an excuse to to read stuff like, you know, love me, love me for who I am and uh, and my brother's husband, you know, uh it it gives me an outlet to to read other stuff that I otherwise might not have gotten to or like would have gotten to way later. So, you know, there's that. Mm -hmm. And I also want to thank you, Rachel, for your kind comments about our problematic media episode, because I'm really happy with the reception that got. And that is also an example of the kind of conversations that I want us to continue having on manga Mavericks in the future as well mature discussion topic episodes on complicated subjects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that really that really was a good episode. That that might be one of our best conversations this year. Or was that last year? I already forgot. That was three months ago. Ah, oh, see see time 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 just like 
time just like meshes together for me now. And it's really hard for me to keep <laughs> track of. But uh uh but yeah, just 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 know that we're we're constantly in talks about like what to cover on the show and we're always talking behind the scenes about like how much of how much to cover of what on the show and like what we want to do for the show. Uh, we have we have like a set schedule for ourselves on like Google Docs, but like that's always constantly changing. Um, so yeah, we're we 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 are we are trying we are trying to be better and like just cover as much as we can as much as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, yeah, thank thank you, Rachel, for sending in that email. Uh, again, if 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 you have any BL recs that you want to send us your way, we'll. You know, we'll uh, we'll 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 add it to our list of BL titles that we want to cover on the show. And again, if, if anyone else has any just uh, any recommendations in general for what you want to see us talk about on the show or what series you want to hear us talk about, again, you could send us an email over at mangamavericks at gmail dot com. Even if it's very heavy criticism, we we still really enjoy getting emails and we enjoy reading them and and parsing through them. So. Yeah, please please keep sending more of those. We love getting we we love getting emails. Yeah. Um, but I think that's gonna be about it for that. Um, before we kind of wrap up the show here soon, uh, Lum, uh, did you have any community shoutouts? Indeed, I do. First, I want to shout out a great thread from letterist Sarah Lindsley. There's been a conversation going around. It seems about people confused about why official publishers don't simply reuse scanlations. And then Sarah has very firmly laid down the letter of the law and kind of explained exactly why that does not happen. Like, not just from a copyright standpoint, from from a quality standpoint about why scanlations are completely unusable to publish and would be a complete garbage product in contrast to what they do and the efforts put into an official release. So I wanted to start off with that. I also wanted to shout out Jax Cottrell's video on the Noir Caesar Entertainment Trial called More Than a Tweet and what Anime Expo and all conventions really need to do. This is in response to a bunch of statements. Of course, conventions have been proclaiming that they are in support of diversity and their you know, black guests and people of color communities, but Jax goes into how they have been treated at conventions as an industry person and as a guest and how poorly animics are in particular treated noir or entertainment and other people of color guests in the past share their experiences, particularly Mela Lee in this video. And Jax has basically a call to action for conventions not just to pay lip service that they are in support of diversity, but also showing that they are committed by doing more to promote their people of color guests, to invite more people of color guests, and to create better, more inclusive spaces for them at conventions and not treat them as a lower priority. And this was a fantastic video on the subject that is something that I think I'd like to explore more at a later date too, in general, in terms of inclusivity in the community. But 
it's also related to a video that BMC, the black manga critic, friend of ours, put out recently on community accountability, where he kind of extrapolates similar ideas in terms of recent controversies about sexual predators in the Smash community. And BMC also makes a call to action of like how we can create safer, more inclusive communities where people who are harassed or victimized in these communities are not afraid to speak out and feel supported and we can root out abusers and bad influences in these communities. So this is yet another fantastic vlog from DMC on a great subject there. Now I'd like to move on to talk about some analytical pieces, but actually I just remembered I really, really want to shout out the One Piece podcast's latest Fight Together podcast, Pride and Pirates. They had a really great panel of queer guests on to talk about One Piece in relation to the queer community, like as queer fans of One Piece, what messages they've gotten out of the series, how it has resonated with them. But also they have a very critical and fair-minded conversation on representation in One Piece and how messy it can be. While we have really great characters like Bon Clay and Evenkov, we also have really horrible stereotypes and treatment of queer characters by other straight cisgender characters. And we have to navigate that and how we feel about that. It was a really great conversation on that subject that I really appreciate. It was very unflinching. But also, Rayfran brought up some really interesting points. I really appreciated Alan Ortega kind of drawing connection between pirate culture and queer culture historically and in ways that has seeped into One Piece. That was really fascinating to hear about. And I'd love to explore that more on my own later, too, because it was really cool, a lot of what he was talking about. I also listened to that episode as well, and uh, I just want to sh- shout out to our, our good friend of the podcast, uh, Erica Friedman. She was also a part of that panel, uh, gave a lot of uh, good contributions as well. And uh, just in general, I, I want to give that podcast credit where credit's due, because some sometimes I feel like... I feel like the discussion around One Piece can either can either lean too positive to the point where like nobody wants to be critical of it or t- even too critical to the point where nobody really wants to uh talk about the positives of One Piece because there are. And so I I thought in that sense like uh the conversation they had on that podcast again like you said was fair-minded. I thought it gave uh, like a good amount of both like uh, of positivity and criticism. You know, uh, so I appreciate the podcast just for that alone. But, yep, I, I really enjoyed it as well. So, yeah. And I also want to thank Erica for the shout out that she gave our show on that episode. Oh, yeah, that's and, right. Again, our problematic media episode in particular. Thank you so much. Thank you, Erica. Yeah. I think that OPP is doing a really good job with this Fight Together series, and I look forward to them continuing with it. And in terms of other great podcasts that I've been listening to recently, I want to shout out Masako X's podcast, Up on the Lookout. Masako X is, of course, the voice of Goku and Gohan in Dragon Ball Z Abridged, and is also a very prolific YouTuber in his own right. And this podcast is kind of designed as like a chill, conversational-style podcast where Masako interviews creators from the community with his co-host Havarok. 
And they've had some really great guests on, including Mike from Consensu and Geekdom101, one of the most prolific YouTubers in the Dragon Ball space. And also voice actors like Damon Mills, Caitlin Glass, and Eric Vale. But the podcast of Masako's Up on the Lookout series that I really appreciate most have been the ones that have looked at Dragon Ball fandom internationally. How Dragon Ball was experienced by fans in countries worldwide, the different ways they got into series, different doves. They've all been incredibly fascinating to hear about. And so, in particular, I really want to shout out the episode Dragon Ball in the Americas, where Mazuko just took voicemails from fans in Latin America, sharing their experiences with the series and how Dragon Ball is just such a huge part of the culture there. It is essential to the culture there and that was such amazing to hear about like the stories that those people sent in and just in general the conversations that they've had on the show about international fandom of dragon ball but of course touching upon all sorts of topics within the community like with geekdom talking about the impact of dragon ball super what we've taken from it how that has changed the game for dragon ball in terms of revitalizing it Talking about fun facts with Mike from Consensu. Talking about really interesting things about voice acting with his actor guests. The Damon Mills interview is particularly interesting because it gives some insight on why Damon was brought in to kind of basically substitute for Chris Ayers as Frieza in several parts of Dragon Ball Super and the games and stuff. And also kind of give an insight of like, why there is a back and forth switch like at certain points in terms of when he was brought in, what he was instructed to do, and how he got used to the role as Frieza in his own right. It is really, really interesting to hear about. And yeah, that I'm really enjoying Up on the Lookout. And uh, it's become one of my new fave podcasts, that for sure. Speaking of Team Four Star, I really appreciated Kaiser Neko's video on why Sonic doesn't work in live action. It goes over some of the points you expect about, you know, how much of a cartoon Sonic is, but does show by example kind of what the story of the Sonic movie, like how it missed the mark in terms of capturing what the appeal of Sonic the Hedgehog is. And kind of how missed opportunity it was to kind of take Sonic the Hedgehog and kind of tell kind of this more rote, kid-friendly, but we've seen it, 90s formula, fish-out-of-water kind of story. And I thought that was a really good point. And I thought, in general, uh, some of the design analysis that, you know, Kaiser did in that was also really good. So that was a really good video. And another video from TFS that I really enjoyed was the Haikyuu parody animation. Oh, that was great. <laughs> yeah, that was written by two members of the TFS team that had no experience with Haikyuu, Kieran and Grant. And so they just went on the wiki, basically, looked up character names. They didn't even know who was on what team. They didn't know anything about personalities. They just wrote their character names, what the general idea of the show was, and then they went crazy with it. And it was very funny and very weird and the strange places it went. So that was a laugh. I hope they do more stuff like that. That was that was genuinely pretty good. And again, as 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 someone who's maybe seen about half of the first season of Haikyuu, I I still thought it was pretty funny, so. Yeah, I think that 
if you're a fan of IQ, you'll love it. I think if you don't know much about IQ, you'll still really love it. So yeah, wanted to shout that out. And also, I want to shout out a great video from Anime AJ going through Boruto, basing an analytical video going through the Boruto anime arc by arc, sharing his thoughts on it as someone who recently finished Naruto just earlier this year or late last year, and then went right into Boruto without any preconceptions of how the series was received from the rest of the fandom, and gave very fair critiques of every arc thoughts that I felt kind of mirror my own on really liking the cast of characters but being frustrated that there's a sense of stagnancy because they can't really progress the characters beyond what the manga material has them be as so they are in constant conflict of introducing new plot elements that they use in their storylines that can't truly go far in particular with a certain villain that is anime original that they really couldn't do a whole lot of interesting stuff with so i thought that was really really good analytical video from aj is a little bit different from aj's normal kind of content since he's more of an animation analysis guy this was more narrative focused though we did touch on some of the animation of the show in there but it was a really good and i think fair critique of the boruto anime and then finally, this is something I've kind of been wanting to bring up, but have kind of forgot about. It's not strictly related to anime or manga, but I've really been enjoying the Adult Swim Summer Showdown, which is kind of the current miniseries on the Adult Swim podcast, where they are going through like all the Adult Swim comedy shows, pitting them against each other, seeing who is going to come on top. We're down to like the final eight so I'm very curious to see who's going to win on the end. I really am pulling for it not to be Rick and Morty. My Dark Horse is Venture Brothers. So if you want to listen to that, because they've got some good people on to give their thoughts on that. Like Dana Snyder and uh, Kim Manning and a bunch of like big Adult Swim people, you know, share their perspectives on, you know, what they think the most iconic Adult Swim shows are, like how far they think they'll go in this bracket tournament thing and uh, you can vote on the results on the adultswim.com instagram like every monday night after they do the latest podcast stream they put up the new poll on the instagram that you can vote on so yeah i think that's a little fun thing that i've been enjoying past couple weeks and uh you can hopefully maybe get involved in too if you had heard it before as it kind of winds down as we enter like the final eight shows or so and actually, the last last thing I want to mention is a recent interview from the OASG with J Novel Club about the new Slayers re-release. He interviewed Sam Pinaninsky, who is president and founder of J Novel Club, about you know their decision to relicense Slayers, publish it, and what their expectations for it are. They don't expect that Slayers is going to be you know a huge seller for them, but they think it is worthwhile because of its historical importance and how you know much the fandom has really wanted it. So. I really appreciate that for sure. Slayers is one of my favorite series. I'm so excited that they'll be publishing it all at long last, the entire run of the novel series since Tokyo Pop only did the first date. So very, very excited for that and glad to read that interview and see that they are committed to releasing it all. 
And I think that will do it for this time in terms of community shoutouts. There's a lot of great stuff to check out and look into for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, as always, we'll leave links to everything we talked about in the show notes over at uh, allcomic.com. Uh, but speaking of the website and everything else, uh, I think it's about time for us to wrap up the show. We had a we had, we had, we had a pretty big episode, a lot to talk about. Indeed. But yeah, I think it's about time for us to uh, to head out. And I, I guess before we head out, uh, I do want to mention that uh, the next episode of the podcast will be our cross manage episode. Uh, it will be up uh, the week after this is put up. So just want to put out there uh, again. I apologize for uh, for us having to kind of push it back a little further, um, but it is coming up very soon. I promise. Uh, I need to get to work on uh, editing the rest of it. So it is coming soon, along with our blue flag discussion. But uh, yeah, uh, I guess, yeah, it's time for us to plug all of our stuff. Lum, where can the people find you? You can find me at Lum Ramayash on Twitter. And it's Lum Ramayash on a variety of places. Animation Revelation, Annualist, wherever there's Lum Ramayash, that's where you can find me. You can read my manga reviews on all-comic.com. We've got a lot of books coming out, a lot of reviews coming out. So definitely look forward to those on there. And that's also where you can find the spin-offs to this podcast that I head up, including hashtag Lum Squad, which is a Yurisiatsu folks podcast that I host with my friend AC, where we review your Sayatsura, dig into the series every month. And of course, you can also find on there and in your podcast feed, Manga Hours at Movies, where we review movies and stuff like that too. So yeah, check all that stuff out. And you can find my artwork, if you like the thumbnails for the show and the art I do, on Instagram and Twitter, at Sid Artworks. All right, definitely follow all alum stuff. As for me, I'm Colton. You could find me on Twitter, at SniperKing323. I also do a few other podcasts on the side as well, which you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. I pretty much have a page dedicated to all the podcasts I do, uh, mostly for the Ask Backwards Anime Podcasting Network, such as uh, One Podcast Reveals and basically anything we we do at the the SSA Network Patreon at ssanetwork.com. Um, including the Poltergeist Report, where we talk about Yu Yu Hakusho, uh, as well as the Untitled Depression Horse Podcast, where we talk about BoJack Horseman. I'm usually doing more than one podcast at a time. That's nothing new at this point. Um, and so, yeah, that page is always being updated uh, whenever I find new like uh, guest spots I do on other shows as well. Um, again, that's at coltoncorner.wordpress.com if anyone's interested in my other shows. Um and so, yeah, as for all comic on the podcast, uh, you can find every episode of Manga Mavericks uh, posted first over at all-comic.com. Unless you are a patron of ours at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, uh, where if you sign up for our $2 tier, you will get access to early editions of our podcast uh, if we happen to have them uh, edited before their scheduled release dates. Um, and so, yeah, uh, again, our blue flag episode will probably be up within the next two or three weeks or so. Uh, but if you want to listen to it now, you can, along with our, our dreams at dusk discussion. So yeah, uh, again, $2 tier, you sign up for it, you get early editions of our podcast, uh, whenever we have them edited early. Or if you, uh, if you, if you want some bonus content, if you want some new podcasts, you want to sign up for our $5 tier, 
uh, where we post uh, a bonus podcast at the end of every month. Uh, we we have a ton of bonus podcasts up at this point, a, a, a whole year's worth. Um, for this month, uh, we did a full review of Gengoro Tagami's uh, My Brother's Husband. Again, we uh, originally talked about the first volume of that back in 2017, but we had Maxi Bernard from Friendship Ever Victory, good friend of the show, back on to talk about the entirety of the series and why we love it so much and why it's probably one of the best comics you'll ever read. Um, if you can't tell, we love it. But, uh, yep, uh, that episode of our bonus podcast is up on there again at the $5 tier, along with a bunch of other stuff like one-off reviews and episodes of our side podcast, The Manga Mavericks Book Club, where we cover basically whatever series we want to go back to and talk about uh, that we may or may not have already covered on the regular Manga Mavericks podcast. So yeah, that, all of that is waiting for you at the $5 tier, again, at patreon.com slash Manga Mavericks. It's really the best place for you to support us financially and basically anything we do, uh, if you so choose to. Uh, but anyway, as for everything else, you can find us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But if you want to follow Manga Mavericks in particular... You want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks where we have different excerpts of the podcast and whatnot and even some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, that's at youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Yeah, uh, if you want to send us an email like Rachel did earlier on in the show, again, email us anything at mangamavericks at gmail.com. Uh, do you have any series you want us to cover on the show? Any BL recommendations? Uh, what do you think about uh, all the latest jump starts we talked about on this episode? Uh, again, manga related, podcast related. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll read any email on the show if you want us to. Uh, again, that's at mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or basically wherever you listen to us. We're available on all kinds of podcatchers, wherever podcasts are sold. Um, they really, especially on Apple Podcasts, though, it really helps the visibility of our show, helps us get to more listeners just in general. And uh, we just in general, we really appreciate the feedback, like we said earlier. Um, and that's really going to be about it for the show. Uh, this has been episode 126 of the Manga Mavericks podcast on allcomic.com, and we will see you guys next time for episode 127. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.